You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Plenty coming your way here on a new episode, including 24-7 sports preseason rankings. Those dropped Earlier this week, looking at the top 25 put together uh, by our national team, you'll hear from one of those voters, Brandon Marcello. In fact, he was higher on Penn State than anyone else in these rankings. So what does he see from the Nittany Lions that has him so high on James Franklin's squad going into 2020? Uh, Plus, the boys are back in town. The players are beginning to reassemble in State College. We, We talked about those plans on the last episode. Monday that began a phased re-entry into campus life. We heard a little bit about the start of that process from cornerback Keaton Ellis earlier this week. He's the first player we've had a chance to speak with since the announcement that players were going to start coming back to Happy Valley. How's it going so far? What's the process look like? And what does he anticipate will be different than what they uh, knew as the normal situation uh, before March? Get a little bit of an indication from Keaton here. Plus, another player enters the transfer portal on defense, some recruiting updates, and we will get into a conversation about Penn State's virtual combine. It's something that we touched on last episode. Sean went into detail on some of the things that were in the works. Penn State revealed that virtual combine setup this week. Uh, Talk about how that could impact the recruiting process for the 2021 class and beyond. And we'll cap things off, of course, with our five-star mailbag. But Sean, we're going to get to Brandon in a little bit. Really excited to see him. He recently got bumped up uh, to a national analyst with 24-7 Sports. Did a tremendous job covering Auburn football during recent years. Uh, And we look forward to hearing from him on these rankings. But um, June, three months out, Penn State number five here. A lot of time to kill here, don't we? Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, a long summer. We'll say that. So we've got our twenty four seven sports top twenty five. Uh, Penn State number five. Uh, you mentioned Marcelo had him at number four. Um, I, we'll get a chance to uh, break down his thoughts and what puts him there. We already know that he said the winner of that Ohio State Penn State game later this season would eventually be the national champion. So it went out on a bit of a limb there, but still has Penn State in a playoff position. So that's good. Um, Penn State. It's got to, to me. It, there's questions to be answered before I can put them that high. You know, I, I was asked in my chat this week. You know, if I thought five was was reasonable, and I thought, yeah, somewhere in that in that area. You know, five to eight are sometimes interchangeable. Sometimes it's it's clear who. Uh, five and six are because the you know the first two out in the playoff, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I expect this team to be right in that mix. I mean, you look at the schedule and and, and you get by that trip to Virginia Tech, and you know it's it's a big one. Your Virginia Tech's not not the best team you'll play all year, but at the same time, it's it's a different atmosphere. It's to, you know I'm not sure what the capacity is going to be for the stadium at that point, but. It's it's Blacksburg. It's tough to play. And then you get a little bit of a meat grinder in the schedule in the middle. But I mean, you go to Michigan, always tough, but you get Ohio State at home, you get uh, Iowa at home. So you've got uh, you got some things that are working in your favor. So um, I'm, I'm not uh, surprised by this. You know, number five is is where they sh- should shoot to be. Of course, number four, three, you know, playoff is where they shoot to be. 
but I, I can see this. I mean, to, to me, there's questions at, at quarterback and, and receiver and quarterback is the one that's going to hinge on whether or not you can put them in that top four or just put them in the, uh, in the boat with the rest of them. Big 10 rival. Well, I, I know rival is not a word tossed around these parts, but Big 10 foe Ohio State leads the national list here. Number one in the nation, followed by Clemson. Alabama, Georgia. Those are the four teams ahead of Penn State right now. Each of those four teams, recent college football playoff experience, some more than others. And then right beyond Penn State, that top 10 is rounded out by the Florida Gators, the Oklahoma Sooners, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, LSU, and Wisconsin. LSU, the defending national champion. A lot of folks wondering what they're going to look like after losing a lot of talent to the NFL, most notably Heisman Trophy candidate Joe Bur- or Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow. Uh, they're number he nine. Also, he was also a candidate. He was also point. a yeah. candidate, yes. Uh, they are number nine and they are number four among SEC squads. Wisconsin is that third Big Ten team in the top 10 here. Um, and by the way, uh, beyond those three, Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin within that top 10. Top 25 features a couple more Big Ten schools. Uh, Michigan is at number 17. Minnesota is at number 18. Uh, Indiana, Nebraska, and Iowa each listed among those who also received votes. Penn State will play all three of those teams this year. Number 24, Virginia Tech. Number 17, Michigan. And of course, the big one in Beaver Stadium, number one, Ohio State. So I, th- I, th- I will say that's a little bit different I, uh, than than what I've been accustomed to seeing in a lot of preseason rankings, Sean. Typically, it's been Clemson uh, taking that number one spot. I've seen some Alabama there, which is always a, a you know, no matter what the year is, it seems it's a pretty safe bet that Alabama is going to be getting number one votes. But Ohio State gets the love from 24-7 sports here. I think there's certainly a lot of folks within our industry um, who have two feet on the Justin Fields Heisman Trophy uh, hype train. And they like what they saw from Ryan Day year one. And, and certainly, as we have talked about as recent as the last episode, the trip to the college football playoff seemingly needs to go through Indianapolis for Penn State. And to get to Indianapolis and that Big Ten championship game, they got to get through the Buckeyes. Well, it, it's a similar conversation that we had about Penn State's schedule. I mean, they, they do go to Oregon in week two, which is obviously a big time atmosphere. But Oregon, uh, probably going to be rebuilding. Lost Justin Herbert to the NFL and, you know, got some things to work with. And, and when I say rebuilding, I mean, I still think that's a top 15, 20 team, but you know, it's a, it's a different animal when you're talking Ohio State going into a, a place that's, re, you know, replacing a quarterback. So I can number see number 11 here or number, number, number 11. 11. Okay. I, I, I thought I saw him at 13 or 14, but, um, yeah, it's going to be, uh, the similar conversation. I mean, you, you, you you know Michigan's on the schedule, but that Penn State Ohio State game looming large in Big Ten and national play this year, and you know it's sort of over the last couple of years that's that's really the trend that it's that that has been building, and you know it should be a big one this year. So I I mean if Ohio State runs the table, I mean absolutely they deserve to be there. I mean you you get quality wins over Oregon, Penn State, and Michigan, and then the rest of the schedule f- fills out. You know Iowa's on that schedule as well, and but I mean Clemson, let's be honest. Uh, Everybody expects them to run the table, right? I mean, that's uh, that's what's logical in the ACC. I mean, Alabama, Georgia, and Florida from three, four, and six—that's that's the interesting one to me because somebody's got to take somebody else down. Um, and I, you know, and we were asked about this uh, in the chat this week about you know if Penn State has one loss, where do they kind of fit into this mix? And 
probably on the outside because you've got those three SEC teams. The strength of those three SEC teams or the perceived strength of these three SEC teams are going to impact that in some way. And then, of course, you have Notre Dame at number eight, which kind of throws everybody off. You know, if they have a 11-1 and season, a 12-0 and season like they did a couple of years ago, then they're in the playoffs. So um, there's a lot of uh, X factors, especially behind Penn State in these rankings. Florida at six, Oklahoma at seven, who always ends up in the playoff, even though, you know, they the, the, the tradition is to get to the playoff and then, you know, lose that first game. And LSU, uh, they got some talent. I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I don't <laughs> see them. I, I see them taking a step back. I don't think it's going to be a huge step back, but it's going to be think big enough to keep them out of the playoff picture, especially with Alabama in that division. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions there, but, uh, I think, I think we did a pretty good job. I mean, I, I was not on the voting thing, but this is probably about what I would have in this, uh, if I were to make a top 10 or something like that myself. Yeah, I think Oklahoma is the tricky one uh, for for everybody in terms of looking at who has a, a really well-set-up path toward college football playoff contention and what they're going to be dealing with because – is that you know? Is, is is it the year to believe in Texas fully? It's that's it feels like they've been on the verge of of trying to convince everybody for a long time and with, with too little effect. By the time you get to Thanksgiving and see what the Longhorns have actually accomplished, a couple of years ago maybe different. But Baylor, you know, you would think without Matt Rule there, uh, they're going to have a serious slip. They were, uh, you know, uh, they they certainly pushed Oklahoma last year and made things interesting in the Big Twelve. And I think the Pac twelve. You look out there. Oregon at number 11 is the top-ranked team in that conference right now. So you got Southern Cal at 16. Uh, you've got to go down to 22 where Utah is tied with Cincinnati, Arizona State at 21. But, you know, the Big Ten, it, it's, it's it, you know, the good thing for Penn State is that this year you don't have to face Wisconsin in a crossover situation. You may have to deal with them if you get to the Big Ten championship game. But I do wonder about the timing of the Ohio State matchup this year, Sean. It's... It, again, kind of like a couple of years ago, it's a bit earlier in the season. Uh, two years ago was the, the final week of September. Uh, now we're looking at, at this game in, in early October. Um, do you think the timing of that game, you know, whether you, you, you win or lose, let's say you lose in a, in a close matchup, does that give you uh, some buffer towards the end of the season to hope that, that things fall in place and maybe you can be one of those teams that suffers the first loss earlier than another? I know you're looking at a worst-case scenario here where they, they, they come out on the losing end of that matchup again for the fourth straight year, but do you think there's there's anything to be said about the potential timing of, of a one loss if that is your only loss and you can get a win in Ann Arbor, which is something that they have not been able to do under James Franklin? I, I think so. I mean, the earlier, the better. Obviously, last year, you know, not that, you know, this, this was the, the game that kept them out of the playoff, but last year was in November. And, you know, we saw what happened to Penn State in November and kind of fell off the national radar. I don't think those, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the um, playoff rankings don't come out to right around Halloween. So I think that, you know, if you can get that first loss in before those playoff rankings come out, especially if it's, you know, a, a quote unquote good loss or an impressive loss or something like that. I think that that makes a difference. Um, the I think the the flip side to that is you know a, a loss at home is going to hurt you more. You know, especially in a game like this, a loss at home is going to hurt you more than if you go on the road and you play them tough. And I know Penn State, 
you let that one get away in 2017, but that still came away as a pretty good loss, a close loss at Ohio State, and that probably helped them out more than you know losing this game by a, you know a couple of points would uh, would have done or would do in this scenario. So I think it does matter. I also think that the home and away matters a little bit more. So um, I, I, I buy your argument, and I, and I agree with you. I mean, it's uh, it, the close to Penn State's schedule. Um, I don't know how much it's going to build them up because that's not a good way to close the season in terms of PowerPoints or, or however you want to rank these guys. But, uh, you know, you, you got to make the, your resume builder is October. Let's face it. And and we haven't even talked about that trip to Indiana, which is, you know, Indiana thinks a pretty good football team. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens over that stretch. And, and you should have a pretty good idea, you know, after that Indiana game where you stand and, and I guess where you can slot in on the national level, how much help you need, how much, uh, you know, if you control your own destiny, you're in pretty good shape there. But, uh, yeah, I think there's, I think, I think it comes at a good time. You know, I actually like that late September, early October slot where they've had, they had it a couple of years ago, but, uh, yeah, I think October is, is pretty much ideal for that. Penn State would be six games through the regular season schedule when they get to the Buckeyes game. Um, they would have already played at Michigan. They would have already played home against Iowa. They'd, they'd fit in a bye week in between those two games in October. And coming off of the home game against Iowa, you get to stay put, bring in Ohio State. You know what's at stake there. And then the final five, it sets up with road trips to Indiana and Nebraska back-to-back. Both of those feel like they could be dangerous for Penn State. That Indiana game's on Halloween, so that's how you finish off October. By, by the come, way, by the way, it's 2020, and, and I, I'd say be more scared of Indiana on the road than Nebraska. So process that, and it's uh, it's pretty crazy to think about, especially in the grand scheme of college football. Uh, so either of those games, I, I think you know you're, you're wary of, and in Indiana, uh, to your point, they have made Penn State work for it very hard recently. A couple of years ago in Bloomington, that game was very much uh, in dire straits toward the end. Shaka Tony uh, came up with, I think. Four sacks, nineteen in the final sacks six. in the last quarter. I believe yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, every every time an Indiana quarterback dropped back, Shaka Tony was in their face at the end there. Uh, but you know, the last three games here, you're looking at you know you you look at some of these Big Ten power rankings going going into the summer. These might be the bottom three that a lot of people point to. Michigan State in a in a rebuild. Don't know what to expect from them. They've got to come to Happy Valley in, in mid November. Uh, then you have Maryland come into town, and Penn State has absolutely dominated that matchup in recent seasons. And then Rutgers on the road Thanksgiving weekend, which works out great with my family schedule once again for the second uh, second time in three years. Uh, but yeah, that's another team that, for for whatever reason, uh, inexplicably uh, to some people, Rutgers has kind of hung around these matchups. And you're getting to the fourth quarter, and you're seeing the scoreboard, and you're saying. Yeah, it's a two-possession game that seems like it shouldn't be, uh, and obviously you got to get through that. But I think on paper, it's a it's a schedule that is very much front-loaded. You get through the first nine games for sure. I think that you're feeling pretty good about uh, the the slope that you got to go down uh, to get to the end of the season in good shape. But the key is getting through those nine games in a good spot. If you get there eight and one, and the losses to Ohio State. I think Penn State will have a chance. I mean, here's here's the question, and this is one we kind of asked last year. If you're going to have to have one loss and you're going to be a one-loss team, what's that best one loss to pick up? And last year we were saying, uh, is it Ohio State? Is it in Minnesota? And, and, and you know, you're all over the place a little bit. What do you think? Better loss for Penn State this year? And, and let's assume neither are a blowout because that's really going to hurt your case. Is it at Michigan 
or is it home against Ohio State? Which which of those two would be a better loss? Michigan the first Saturday of October, Ohio State the third Saturday of October. I think at Michigan, and I don't think that I don't think it's particularly close. I mean, you, I mean, I mean, unless you go out and blow out Michigan, which you know they, they haven't shown that they could do um, during during James Franklin's tenure at the Big House, um, it's it's tough to argue that that it wouldn't be Michigan because you know you can play uh, you can play a bad game at Michigan you can sort of toss that in the pile especially it's early in the earlier in the season but if you beat Ohio State it kind of uh, wipes away all the other sins if you will so um, the Ohio State win would be so much bigger in scale than than a Michigan loss um, you know can't go out there and lose by 40 again, but uh, it's uh, it's a situation where that we've seen in the past that Penn State has been able to make up for games like that, um, especially that Michigan game in 2016. I mean, they got close, and that's that's not the game that kept them out of the playoffs. So, I mean, it's uh, it, it would be the Michigan loss, and and you know, if if you're a Penn State fan, which which game do you want to win more? I think Ohio State would mean more to this season. I think beating Ohio State would mean more in the big picture as well. And of course, I think you're also looking at, uh, you know, if, if you lose to Ohio State, how can you possibly end up getting uh, to Indianapolis? I think you lose to Michigan that stage of the season. You know, you, you kind of like the odds of the Wolverines stumble at some point because that's that's kind of been what they do toward the tail end of these seasons. And, Careful now. Uh, well, uh, you know, they've. by the way, Michigan does play Wisconsin. That's a home game for them. That's in late September. That's a tough matchup. Uh, and obviously they finish on the road in Columbus, haven't beaten Ohio State in forever. Um, going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And by the way, I'm, I'm looking at Michigan's schedule here. They got crossover games, Wisconsin and Minnesota this year, Minnesota on the road in October. That's not a, that is no cakewalk. They've got Purdue as well. Uh, should have Rondell Moore back if he's healthy. So that, that that's an interesting schedule that the Wolverines are going to be facing as well. Um, Looking ahead here a little bit, Sean, we've we've still got Penn State coaches um, out and about away from campus. They're going to be on campus in their offices by the end of the month there, looking a little bit later. But right now, the focus is on Penn State players uh, as they um, kind of, you know, get situated with a new situ- with a new surrounding and a new setup. They're going to be spending a lot of time in Haluba Hall. Um, that is kind of the hub right now for players. That's where they're getting their uh, going to be getting their weight work in, conditioning work. And as of right now, you know Keaton Ellis, who, who spoke with us on Wednesday afternoon, again the first player that we've come in contact with um, for a media session since players began returning on Monday. He's, and this is a local kid out of State College, so it's probably been less of a strenuous situation for him because he's already on campus, kind of built in here. But he says, uh, you know, this is a situation where it's great to see guys, but as of now, it's kind of in passing because everyone's getting their physicals. You're getting your COVID-19 test, which he said was about 15 seconds process to get that test. Um, he says next week is, is probably going to want its when it's going to feel more like a team being assembled because they're going to get, he says, three different uh, workouts in over the course of the week. Um, but right now, he says it's a lot of, you know, maybe grabbing a bite w- with the teammate, catching up in person, something that they've they've been lacking with for the ability to do for about three months. Um, but also, everyone's getting these physicals. Everybody's getting to understand the new protocols. And in terms of team facilities, 
pretty significant lockdown. There is not going to be a lot of access um, during the course of, of the of the normal day. And as I said, Holuba Hall normally reserved for for those outdoor practices. It's where they have the uh, indoor practices. It's where they have the NFL Combine stuff. Uh, we see a lot of prospect camps there. That's going to kind of be the central spot for Penn State players who are not going to be bunched up in great numbers. Um, we're going to see these guys kind of uh, being, uh, you know, weaned into the weaned into the process um, over the course of the next few weeks. I guess I didn't read the comments, but did we did we avoid the Keaton Ellis coming back to campus jokes about him living across town? I mean, I, that that seems to be the, the that was the theme when he would visit during the uh, during his recruitment was making the trip and everything. So hopefully, I hope we're past that. Were we past that yet? I th- that didn't come up. The one thing I was curious, and I, I kind of wanted to ask him, but ended up throwing a few football-related questions at Keaton. I was wondering crazy, if be- crazy guy. I know. <laughs> I was wondering if if because he does have a home in State College, if if that became kind of a a haven for some of his teammates who are maybe a thousand miles away from home. And Joseph Dark was case, I think 4,000 miles away from home. I, I was kind of wondering if, if that became a popular spot. Didn't get a chance to ask that. I don't know how social distancing and, and kind of being precautious with, with having too many people in one spot may have factored in, but you know, he, he was on home turf. He had, you know, the home cooking was available. I, I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of, but no. Yeah. He, Made the long journey back to campus. There, there's, that's what you were looking for. It was, it was a nice little hotel there for, for at least during his recruitment, because he would have guys like you know, Caden Wallace would come up and stay the night and stay a weekend, and hey, that was a nice little recruiting tool. So anytime you got somebody in state college that's on that level, that's you know a part of this recruiting class, you know, is going to help. Is going to help in that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a transition period for these guys. It's, it's a quarantine period for most of them, and you know, coming from varying backgrounds and locations. And maybe somebody's coming from a hot spot, and you're you're trying to ease in, and you're trying to get them, you know, sort of, I guess, lined up in the right direction to to, to know what the expectations are, and to know what uh, you know what they're going to do. Because I mean, let's be honest. I mean, these are 18, 22 year old kids that you know are, are going to not be locked away, but you want to keep them away from as many people as you can keep them from. So, you know, you've got quarantine, you've got extended quarantine, you've got uh, guys that are going to get at it next week. Like we said, the eighth is kind of misleading for, for when those guys could come back because, you know, you're really looking at the 15th when you sort of start get rolling. And then the week after you just keep growing it out from there because you're going to start with small groups. And a lot of that has to do more with guys that you're living with than position wise. And it's not like you're bringing all the quarterbacks back at one time and putting them in a group because that's sort of a recipe for disaster when you talk about bringing a, you know, Will Levis from Connecticut or Michael Johnson Jr. for wherever they're living now. And, uh, cause his dad's not Oregon anymore, but, uh, you know, just bringing these guys in from all over the place and putting them together just sort of just like lumping them together would not be a great idea. So bring them back, get them with the guys that they're living with, get them with the guys that they're, they're hanging out with, sort of minimize that exposure to other people and then grow out from there. And, you know, by the time you get into July, and we talked about that in the first episode this week, when you can introduce a football back to the football players and you, you know, you should have a bigger group to work with. So hopefully things go in that situation. Uh, hopefully there's not many hitches along the way. I think there will be um, hurdles to overcome and steps steps that go back. But, you know, hopefully you just kind of ease yourself back in there because, you know, you, you, you could, this could blow up. You, know, you shoot yourself in the foot really quickly. So going about it this way is the way to go about it. Take the data, study the data, see what you can do about expanding those groups and then eventually get where you need to be. This certainly is not, okay, let's get back to where we were and, and see where it goes. And 
and uh, and then assess the situation. They are taking a lot of preventative steps here that's going to extend into the weight room. Uh, Keaton Ellis says that they've they've been given uh, these gator style face coverings, uh, uh, not gator the 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 animal, but the kind of these garments that go around uh, from you know from your neck up to your nose, and and you know that's not going to be the most ideal way to to spend a lifting session. And I I don't know exactly what what's how long that's going to last and and all that, but they're not going to be able to go up to the nutrition bar and and grab protein shakes. They're going to be provided things more on a uh, a one on one basis, given everything at, at one time rather than kind of a come and go grab and go kind of situation that we see with them, uh, you know, years and years and years now, um, that ain't going to happen. And additionally, position meetings, all meetings still happening virtually, although they are back on campus, they're not going to be packing guys into rooms right now. Certainly not at the, at the team wide level. And based on what Keaton told us, not at the positional level, at least to begin with here, uh, zoom meetings, which they have become quite accustomed to during the spring into early summer. Uh, that's going to be this, this still the status quo moving ahead here. And, and then it's going to get, you know, further interesting later this month when coaches are added into the mix right now. Very much, this is kind of in the hands of the um, the strength and conditioning staff. Uh, Dwight Galt, obviously leading the way in a lot of those efforts. And then, you know, aside from getting these guys all tested, next week will be inter- interesting. It'll be another step forward as they as they get together and reassemble and, and start to actually put some weight up and and run around and and do some of the things that not too long ago seemed like exactly what you'd expect from a football program. Uh, th- what they'd be doing in June. We did not know that would be the case. I know you could hear it in Keaton Ellis's voice. A lot of excitement about seeing these guys, you know, getting getting lunch or dinner with with players and just kind of catching up. Um, it sounds like a group that is ready to get to work, and and they're going to need to be ready because right now the race is on across college football to see who is going to be best prepared for September. And uh, in the meantime, it's up to these universities and, and administrative leaders and head, head football coaches like James Franklin to try to navigate this uh, the best they can so they can avoid it going off the rails because you just anticipate that's going to happen on some campus, if not multiple campuses, where uh, things get really dicey in terms of uh, coronavirus and and uh, the, the feedback and backlash and, and having to, to deal with kind of the PR aspect of, of the entire process as well. Plus the other stuff, you know, this, the illness stuff. But uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting to me, and this is – I think this is going to happen to everyone, you know, not just to football teams, but, but how do you take the, the best practices that you found during quarantine when guys weren't on campus and employ them moving forward? Uh, these Zoom meetings, all these kind of uh, interactive uh, play chart stuff, uh, you know, how do you take that and put it into your program where this time next year, even though you will have guys on campus this time next year, you know, maybe you're not bringing everybody together to, to do that meeting. Maybe you're doing it on Zoom. Maybe you're just trying to figure out how you can take the technology and, and you know, even in recruiting, how you can take that technology and, and make it work for yourself. Because I think a lot of staffs, um, we're forced to, I guess, get younger, you know, just kind of uh, adjust their mindset, embrace the technology and, and go um, with the whatever this new uh, reality is in terms of you have to be on Zoom, you have to be FaceTime and, you know, you have to embrace that. And if you don't do it, you're, you're being left behind. That to me is is going to be interesting to see how they do that on a program wide level. Um, you know, obviously, they want to minimize exposure for the short term, but for the long term, I think that's going to be uh, very fascinating to see how that plays out. Uh, one 
personnel item that did pop up this week uh, for the second consecutive week we see a defensive player on the Penn State roster enter the transfer portal last week it was a scholarship defensive lineman Damian Barber who Sean remind me where he Austin P Austin that's P. right in Tennessee so yes so he'll drop down a level but he'll be able to play um, in 2020 with a new program uh, he found his his destination pretty quickly uh, the next one here is CJ Holmes he's going to be looking for a third home in college football uh, began his career as a running back at Notre Dame, uh, made the move over to Penn State as a walk-on addition a couple of years ago, uh, shifted over from running back to safety along the way. He's a kid who's gotten really good reviews a- a- as an athlete on this team, has not made the move on the depth chart. He's a former four-star uh, prospect coming out of high school when he went to Notre Dame. Um, just didn't work out for him here, Sean. And, and one thing to note here. Unless I was completely misinformed at some point, he was never on scholarship at Penn State. So this is not one you're looking at getting getting down to 85. No, no impact on the uh, scholarship roster situation or getting down to 85 or getting more for the next class. I mean, it's just it, you're losing a walk on and, you know, there's obviously different uh, categories of walk-ons, but it's not going to impact any of that. But Holmes, a good guy to have around, good team player, uh, came, you know, got some experience at Notre Dame and sort of could pass uh, that along, especially, you know, he got in trouble and he came back and, you know, put his, uh, you know, just went to it, accepted the walk-on opportunity and just didn't didn't really work out, didn't take those strides. Um, He was a guy that, you know, he's listed as the fourth teamer on the depth chart, Played in eight games last year, mostly on special teams. So I think that's you know if you're t- if you're looking at where they would take a hit with the with C.J. Holmes leaving, it would be would be on special teams and you know a little bit of that veteran leadership, but not really going to do much for you on the field um, in terms of changing things for the fall. Uh, he was behind Enzo Jennings, the January enrollee at safety. So I think that uh, that says something about the expectations at the as a position player. Um, but special teams is really where it hurts. So you know all, all the best to C.J. He's you know been a good teammate he's he's done the right things and just you know hasn't been able to crack that uh, and get onto the field which you know when when he transferred in i mean the the expectations were okay maybe you've got something just didn't work out and with a walk on it's it's no harm no foul it sounds a little callous saying it that way but uh you know that's where we're at a couple years later and and penn state's safety room is is adding numbers as as you know uh, jr brown will come in this summer and enzo jennings is there and you know they continue to 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 inch towards being better now they're going to take a hit with numbers next year when they lose wade and brisker uh you know who who run out of eligibility but still um, you know, you're, the safety room's in a pretty good place. Uh, you know, Holmes, I don't think, was changing that if he stayed. Holmes, a redshirt junior, two more years of college eligibility. Should he choose to use that? We'll see where he ends up. Sean, this team very much uh, on the verge of, of, of getting to 85 scholarship numbers. It seems to be a question that pops up uh, quite a bit, particularly when you're doing your weekly VIP chat on 24-7 sports. By the way, check that out, Lines 24-7, Sean Gun underway on Wednesday, a lot of good information. Um, but when we review the roster, um, is there another move or two that needs to be made? And, and how do you think it gets there? Yeah, the, I mean, the, obviously, you, you got to find a way to get to 85. It, I, I haven't heard of any waivers or anything like that, although I do think that makes sense. Uh, you know, if you, if you give some grace period because the attrition wasn't there. Now, do, does Penn State really need it? Probably not. I mean, you look across the roster, there are guys that, that, that are, you know, well into their career that have not uh, been able to crack that depth chart, have not been able to, to get there. And there's positions that are loaded up with that. There's guys that have had medical issues that really haven't gone away. Um, so, I mean, 
I don't think it will be that hard for them to get to 85. Don't don't like to speculate on names. That's very disrespectful to the players. But um, I, I think there are avenues. And, and just one more is essentially nothing. I mean, it, once again, there's cal- me being callous, but uh, it's essentially nothing to get down from 86 to 85 in three months before the before the season starts. We will keep our uh, finger on the pulse there. And, and yeah, I totally agree with you. No speculation towards a, an individual um, in this situation. Doesn't, doesn't do anybody any good. I mean, it's uh, you look at the roster and you can figure these things out. Uh, it's and, and until it happens, it's it, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, and we're not even going to get into it. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, we've, we've, we dove into a lot of recruiting conversations during recent episodes. Going to do kind of a rapid fire uh, review of updates here, particularly because although on the surface, these things look positive for Penn State. We anticipate that the next shoot of fall in a lot of these circumstances are not going to involve the Nittany Lions. Uh, four-star 2021 offensive tackle Garrett Dellinger uh, out of Michigan, uh, high school teammate of uh, Rocco Spindler up at Clarkston High School. Penn State's one of his four finalists. He is now set to commit on June 24th. And another commitment is scheduled from four-star 2021 edge rusher Naquan Brown, who puts Penn State in his top group just a few days ago. He follows up with Brian Doan on Wednesday, uh, July 1st, his commitment date. Sean, Penn State had on the table both situations. Each of these spots are still positions of need on the 2020 recruiting trail. But at the end of the day, Crystal Ball doesn't seem to be pointing towards State College for either of these guys. Yeah, I don't see either landing at Penn State. Dellinger, I see uh, going to LSU. That Crystal Ball, I think, is pretty heavy to them. I think Penn State's probably third in this one, maybe second. I think Michigan has made up some ground, but I don't think they've done enough to, to pass LSU. Naquan Brown, I'm honestly, frankly, surprised Penn State's on that list. Uh, he visited back in January, and I think we had the conversation then with Brian Doan. Uh, he's got terrific tape. Uh, he's got measurements that don't inspire in terms of, of growth and things like that. So, uh, you know, not really a priority for Penn State. So putting him in that top six was, you know, was a little bit surprising. And then when he says he's going to commit on July 1st, which is just a couple of weeks away, I mean, they can't see that one coming back around. So I was surprised that he was on that list. And if that tells you anything, you know, he's, I don't think he's coming to Penn State. <laughs> yeah. 6'3, 205 for Brown. Uh, listed listed 6'3, 205, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that's so, a, that's an underline listed in under that one um, because he's not close to 6'3. Uh, so um, it's, uh, it's a situation where he, you know, he came to campus and, you know, you're, you were worried about size in the begin with. And that's one of those things that we've, we've rehashed and we'll talk about it with the uh, virtual combine is, you know, those measurements better be close or, or on point. And if they're not, I mean, you know, it's very hard to be a six foot one defensive end in the big 10. Um, you better be elite and you better be able to at least hold up, um, on that edge. And he's, Maybe 200 pounds. Uh, that's that's tough. And I think, like I said, his tape is great. I think he's a very good player. I, I have questions about how that's going to translate. And you look at the offers that John Scott has put out. I mean, you're talking 6'4 and above. You're talking length. They, they, they offered another uh, guy from Minnesota this week that's a basketball player, about 6'5 and a half, 6'6. So I think that that's really more the body type that you're looking at. And and and. You know, it's not to say that you can't take a guy that's that's shorter, doesn't have that ideal length, but I mean, there's a big difference between six taking a guy that's six three with with length like like for instance, Zariah Fisher last year, a guy was six three who's got length like a six five guy. You take a six one guy with length like a six two guy or six three guy. That's uh, you know, that's a big difference right there. 
particularly at this point in the cycle as well. Um, a name that we have not discussed that much at a position that we have talked a lot about, Michael Trigg, a top five tight end prospect in the 24-7 sports rankings, puts Penn State in his top 10. Doesn't sound like much of a narrow down, but he's got a reported 45 to 50 scholarship offers at the FBS level. So getting down to 10 is something. Um, No Florida teams in the mix here. This is a kid who attends uh, high school in the Tampa area. So that stands out to me. But also his numbers and his measurements, and we're talking about measurements. He's another kid who has not been to Penn State. They haven't had a chance to, I guess, verify everything at this point for sure. Uh, but you know, listed six foot four, two hundred and thirty pounds, sixteen touchdown catches last year, twelve hundred receiving yards, about as productive a stat sheet as you'll find from someone uh, slotted as a tight end. He kind of fits that wide receiver mold right now, and uh, I think Barton Simmons mentioned that in his scouting report on Trig. Uh, but he is the grandson of a, a former All Conference tight end at Oklahoma State. Uh, a kid who is also getting college looks at on the basketball court, and I think that's always a good thing to see at the tight end position, as history tells us. Uh, but, but Sean, something, nothing. Is this something where you're kind of just hoping that an official visit maybe comes to fruition? Because as we've said, the tight end board of late has been shifting, and a lot of those uh, more uh, ascended targets up in that top top rankings have have looked elsewhere, committed elsewhere. Trig number three when you look at 24-7 sports positional rankings at that spot. Oh, he's a good player. And he's a guy that we've been following for a while. He, I mean, he expressed some interest early about visiting and things like that. And, you know, was hoping to get up this summer, but it obviously kind of all blew up. So it, you're going to need you're going to need an official visit from Michael Trigg. And that's a lot to ask at this point, because that's a, the, you're not sure when he's going to be able to, to make it up. So if he's in that he's in that ballpark where you've got uh, you know sort of like a Thomas Fedone out in Iowa or Michael Trigg, these guys are are big targets. Penn State's you know remains in contact with them, remains somewhat in the mix, but you're going to need an official visit to 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 win him over. I think Auburn is the team to beat right now. I think they lead the Crystal Ball, um, but uh, it, you know th- this is a guy that if he waits it out, you you got a shot to get on campus. That's good. I, I don't I don't see this one happening, but you know to to still be in it at this point uh, says something. I think they've been I think they've made the top ten or the top whatever for all the top 10 tight ends in the country. They just have not finished on, on any of those guys. So put him in the pile where, you know, unless something happens with an official visit, uh, this one's not going to happen. So, but uh, you know, put yourself in, in a spot where you can get them on campus and, and who knows. Yeah, Maliki Matavao, uh, Jack Pugh, each committing elsewhere uh, in late May. And then also another name that had been on the radar, Lake McCree, a former Texas Longhorns commit who had talked about using a visit at Penn State, has not been able to to this point. He committed to Southern Cal uh, a few days ago. So another name off the board there. Uh, There's a lot of them to know, Michael Trigg. Uh, in that category now as well. That offer went out, by the way, to Trig last December. Um, so not a lot of time between the offer and the coronavirus shutdown where you would have been able to get him uh, on campus for that kind of visit. Certainly not an official visit. When we look at 2022 class, something that popped up to me this week, and he's a name that I've mentioned before on the show, Caden Saunders. Uh, Penn State made a great early impression with him. They offered him as a freshman last spring. Now he's a rising junior uh, in Westerville, Ohio, which is right around the corner from Ohio Stadium. The, the the big thing here in this recruitment continues to be the lack of a Buckeyes offer. He had said uh, during our initial conversation, I think it was last March, that he did grow up Ohio State fan. But as he as his recruitment grows, his interest grows, and he's watching other teams. 
but it just feels like Ohio State, you know, they might be one move away from shaking up this recruiting process. Saunders comes out with the top list. Penn State is on it. The Texas Longhorns put out an offer, I think, within 24 hours of him producing that list. But as of now, uh, I think the crystal ball with, with a pick from, I think it's Steve uh, Steve Wiltfong. I, I, you know, I, I want to be cautious here putting the word in his mouth. It's either Wilt, Wiltfong or Doan has a pick in for Saunders to Penn State. Uh, he has gone on the record in, in past interviews with 24-7 Sports stating that Penn State was up ahead in his recruitment, got to a couple games last year. Um, and this is a kid, though, with, with tremendous speed. He has talked about maybe pursuing baseball as well at the next level, but very clearly one of the more impressive slot receivers in the 2022 class and a guy that, you know, again, we'll see how Ohio State handles this situation moving ahead. But I like where the Nittany Lions are right now. Um, I, and I think, you know, long term, they're going to be a team that remains in contention here. <laughs> and it's funny, uh, Tom Loy spoke to him this week. I think the three that really st- stick out on that list to me, Notre Dame, Penn State, and West Virginia. Um, he went to Notre Dame and, 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 you know, really liked it, but he's been to Penn State multiple times. I thought that the, you know, the, he's got a relationship and that family has a relationship with James Franklin and a, and a couple of the coaches. They've been, you know, v- very frequently, uh, in contact throughout the shutdown. So I think Penn State's still, prevalent in that recruitment. And then West Virginia, you know, you saw it with Caden Prather. Uh, Jared Parker has is, is been a constant with him. So that's sort of carried over to West Virginia. And he, he, you know, he got down there recently for a visit. So I think those are the guys that, uh, or those are the schools that really jump out to me uh, for Saunders. I, I do think Penn State's still in it. September 25th is, um, you know, his uh, decision date, which I believe is his birthday. Um, so we'll see if he gets to back to campus before that. Um, he's got, uh, what do you have, two visits set up for the spring? I know you wrote that story, two visits set up for the spring? Uh, he he had, uh, I, I wrote about his visits to Penn State in the past. Uh, he had a couple last year. He was at the whiteout game last year, came back later in the season. Um, I don't know what his plans are moving ahead. And by the way, I, I double check. Steve Wiltfong does have that crystal ball pick. Uh, in from last October. The only other crystal ball pick in for Saunders is from who you mentioned, Tom Lloyd, a Notre Dame insider. He put one in for the Fighting Irish back in January. So to this point, it's a 50-50 split on a pretty limited sample size and predictions. All right. I looked it up real quick. Uh, you wrote the story back in March on March 8th that he was planning to visit Penn State on March 18th and April 18th for the Blue-White game. So uh, two, oh, visits, right. <laughs> two visits within a month that just both got wiped out. So you know, anything was, I wrote in early March that's probably been eviscerated from my brain. At anything this point. I did in early March doesn't <laughs> exist up there anymore. So I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, you know he was trying to get back and it just got wiped off. So I, I do think the interest is still there. They've done a lot of comparing him to KJ Hamler. Um, really good playmaker. Uh, Caden Saunders is, and it's funny because you, you, every time we mention him, we mention Ohio State, who apparently is looking at him as a cornerback. Um, it's uh, an interesting situation where. You know, you've got uh, you've got a chance to build a substantial lead and put him in the position that he wants to play, and then we'll see what happens after that. But uh, it, it is humorous. Anytime you mention him on any message board, the first thing that pops up is, "Does he have an Ohio State offer?" Well, not yet. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens with that. Uh, not sure where he lands on that board, but of course, Ohio State. Uh, recruiting and uh, on another world right now. So we'll we'll see what what happens there. 
Ohio State tops that top 25 that we discussed earlier on the show. Brandon Marcello is a voter for it. As we mentioned, higher on Penn State than anyone else. He placed the Nittany Lions at number four in the preseason top 25. We're going to jump into it with Brandon right now, 24-7 sports national analyst. Get his thoughts on the upcoming season where Penn State stands in the college football playoff race. And then when we return from that interview, uh, some thoughts on Penn State's new virtual combine, the way they're moving forward and prospect assessment in the coronavirus era and additionally our five-star mailbag all coming your way first a word from our sponsor introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now we're going to go to the phone lines for 24-7 Sports National Analyst Brandon Marcello. Brandon previously covered Auburn for the 24-7 Sports Network, was recently elevated, promoted to national uh, to a national writer, national analyst. He's done a fantastic job. I know you've made a lot of friends up north in the last couple of weeks, especially with your views on Penn State, but uh, we're happy to, to, to read your stuff. I've been reading it for a long time since you covered Auburn. It's, it's always been fantastic. And if you're not following him at B Marcello on Twitter, uh, you really should be. Um, but Brandon, thanks for joining us. Thanks for giving us a few minutes to, to talk Penn State. Yeah, I didn't think I'd be talking Penn State all that much until they met Auburn in uh, 2021. I was looking forward to that. And uh, but now I get to look at Penn State a little bit more. And I think I'm going to be looking at them a lot more this season. I, I was was going to get to that 22 uh, game in Auburn, but what, uh, what what can you expect there? I mean, Penn State fans. I mean, you don't meet Auburn very often. It's you know it's usually in an Outback Bowl or something like that. But uh, what, what can Penn State fans expect? I know it's a couple of years from now. We don't know what to expect a couple of months from now. But when, when you make that trip, I mean, what uh, what do you got to do when you're when you're at Auburn? Well. Um, hang out with the fans because they're about as warm and welcoming as any fans in the SEC, I think. And, and also, I mean, Auburn's like kind of your atypical <clears throat> college town. Um, who knows what it's going to be like in two years, you know, things opening and closing so much, but I would recommend a trip if you're having dinner to a place called the hound, which is my favorite restaurant and also a good little bar. Um, they, their whole theme is, uh, bacon and bourbon. Um, they have tremendous meals. There's also another place called uh, the Depot, which is fantastic. Um, but make sure you just you hang around downtown. Downtown's fantastic. Uh, tour the tent campus a little bit, and just don't be afraid to talk to Auburn fans because they're really nice. I guess uh, the one thing I've seen from a bunch of our fans is they, they like to make the road trip, even if you don't get tickets. Is it a good place to, you know, is it a good college town, a good place to go, even if you just don't go to the game? 
I, you know, I think so just to kind of hang out in the downtown area. I really like it, especially, you know, on game days when there's events going on. Um, hopefully I would think by then they're going to allow the, uh, tumors Oaks to be rolled. So, you know, if Penn state were to lose, maybe you'd at least get to watch, uh, the fans rolling tumors corner, which is really cool. I know it sounds silly to some people like putting toilet paper on a tree, but it's like, really, I don't know how to say this without sounding weird, but it's really beautiful. It's like, it's like snow almost when they, when they cover those trees up. Um, and it's fun just watching people do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's plenty of spots to watch the game. If you, uh, can't make it in the stadium and everything, the tailgating scene is okay. It's not amazing, but, um, there's a lot of spots around, you know, around the stadium we can check out too. Sounds like we got to get you up north for some tailgating, a little different style, but, uh, we're, we're going to shift focus from 2022 to, to, to 2020. And you, you are higher than Penn State uh, than anybody in that national poll that we did this week on 24-7 Sports. You had them at number four. You mentioned last week that, uh, you know, Penn State, the winner of that Penn State-Ohio State game, is kind of a shot in the dark, uh, you know, would be the national champion. So what, what it is about Penn State that you've seen uh, that really jumps out to you that put them in, in such high regard? Well, I think James Franklin, number one, um, has built the atmosphere and the culture to be able to kind of get things rolling. And that's kind of a big theme to me in these projections I've been making this year. Um, we're in this era of the coronavirus, and obviously coaches are having to do things virtually instead of in person since March. Um, and to me, the coaches who have the great cultures – who have also recruited well and they know their players already and they know what to expect and they've been developed heading into this year are going to be the most successful. And when I look across the country, as far as track records with people, it's, it's amazing to me how many coaches don't really fit that mold all that well. And it makes me wonder how successful they'll be. That's why, you know, out West, I don't know if people care about this, like USC, everybody expects them to win their division and potentially the Pac-12, I got them third in their division this year because of that. I just don't trust Clay Helton and the culture he's bit there. But anyway, back to Penn State. That's part. That's a big reason why I've got Penn State where I do. Um, in fact, in in my top twenty-five poll, I've got them in the top four. Um, I think they're going to be a college football playoff team potentially this year. But it all comes down to whether they can beat Ohio State and that game's at home. And I think the potential is there to get over that hump for the first time, uh, what, since 2016. Um, I like I like Sean Clifford um, at quarterback. Um, I think that what's really going to help there is having the former Minnesota offensive coordinator coming on board. And if he can get Sean to make a jump as a dual threat guy to eclipse about 300 total yards on average this season – Penn State's going to win the Big Ten and potentially go on and win the national title. We'll see. But that's what you need right now to contend with Ohio State and knock off Ohio State. You need a tremendous quarterback that can just take over a game. Justin Fields at Ohio State's obviously doing that. Even Tanner Morgan at Minnesota's doing that. And now with the offensive coordinator Penn State has, I think that could very well be the possibility this season. Uh, on offense. Um, and I've just got a lot of confidence in the Nittany Lions getting it done this year. 
Kirk Chirac, of course, made that leap with Tanner Morgan, hoping to do the same with Sean Clifford. Is there anybody else looking out at the roster? I mean, you know Parsons and, and Pat Firemuth was uh, voted an all a preseason yeah. All American right now. Is there anybody else that jumps out to you when you're taking a look at this? Because it's you know some of this stuff when you're a national guy, very surface level, a lot of uh, the things that you're used to. But is there anybody that really jumps out at you beyond that? You know, you mentioned Firemuth. I think I think he is what is going to help that offense as far as being kind of a safety valve. But, um, you know, I look at the defense and I look at a senior like Lamont Wade at safety. Um, you need experience, particularly as we see more teams in the Big Ten going to a little bit more of a passing offense and being a little bit more wide open. And Penn State's got some of that. You got at least a leader back there potentially in Lamont Wade. Um and I think that what they got to do is figure – I think you know more than me. They got to figure out what to do with that other cornerback spot next to Tariq. Um, but the thing for me is I don't see how they get much worse than what they were last year in pass defense. They allowed, what, about 250 yards, 251 yards a game. That could get better this year. And especially in a Big Ten, like I said, where you're seeing more throwing going on and everything like that, that that gives me some confidence in their defense on the back end uh, to get things done. Um, you know, Penn State allowed all those passing yards, but I guess what's not really talked about a lot is that they only allowed 10 passing touchdowns all season, which was the second fewest in the Big Ten, and they also had 10 interceptions to kind of even it all out. Um if Penn State can continue to be ball hawks there, but also improve, you know, just the chunk plays in the passing game, um, that defense is going to be championship worthy. Memphis went for 450 in the Cotton Bowl with zero passing touchdowns. It's still one of the amazing, most amazing stat lines I've seen at the college level. Shifting focus to the national perception of Penn State. I, with with Penn State, it seems like the conversation every time is going to come back to Ohio State because they are the top of the mountain. I guess my question for you would be, you know, how high is that mountain? How close is Penn State? And are they the closest to, uh, you know, upsetting that trend or upsetting that balance and I guess I guess I'm wondering what what you see the gap as and then what's after Penn State uh, you know do you go Michigan do you go Wisconsin I guess what's the hierarchy of the Big Ten like and how big is that gap from one two three four all that stuff well I, I think it's it's Ohio State on top right now then closely followed by Penn State um, I would say like Penn State's like a half step behind Ohio State and Ohio State's on that level obviously of a Clemson, um, though I'd say they're probably half step behind Clemson, but Ohio State's on the verge of potentially breaking through and not just dominating the Big Ten, but going to the national championship about every other year or so if they keep this roll up. Um, I like what Ryan Day's doing there. He, it seems like under Urban Meyer near the tail end of his career there and also at Florida, it seems like teams just are scatterbrained. But Ryan Day got them super focused last season. They were play with a vengeance until they ran to Clemson in the playoff. And this year, I think that he's going to have them even more focused after losing the way they did in the playoff and having all those players back, including Justin Fields, something to watch. Um, but beyond that, you know, Ohio State, then Penn State, and in the West, I mean, you always got to say Wisconsin, but I think Minnesota's creeping up there. But I think that the if you're going to look at it from a 
you know, a tier perspective. I think it's Ohio State and Penn State at tier one. Tier two is Wisconsin with Minnesota almost there. And then tier three is a bunch of teams like Minnesota, uh, Michigan. Um, potentially, I really like Indiana um, moving up a little bit. But I think that there's a, there's a pretty wide gap between uh, like teams like Wisconsin and maybe Minnesota and the rest of the league at this point. Um, I'm not, I'm confident in Iowa to be potentially a top 25 team this year, uh, despite losing what they did, but all this off the field stuff there makes me wonder um, how they're going to be able to stay together and, and concentrate. And also for that matter, the future of Kirk Ferentz. No doubt. No doubt. That's uh, obviously a storyline. It's got plenty of time to bubble up when nothing else is going on. You covered Auburn for a while. Are there any similarities? I know it's different circumstances with Auburn and Alabama in the same state, but you've got Alabama um, and, and Auburn's had tremendous success at times, but you have Alabama, which is just, you know, the peak, the peak of college football for a while. Then you've got Auburn, which is a really, really good program that's been close to the top, into the top. Is there any sort of uh, parallels that you can draw between maybe an Ohio State and a Penn State with those two? Because it just seems like Auburn's always trying to catch Alabama, and it seems like Penn State's kind of in the same, uh, I guess, same stratosphere with, with Ohio State. Yeah, I think that's a similarity. Um, you know, the one thing I would say, you know, with Auburn is that they've been able to catch up with Alabama, it seems like, every two or three years. Um, and by beating them, you know, they beat them last year to keep Alabama out of the playoff. Um, they beat them back in 2017 uh, to win the SEC West and go on to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. And they're one win away from the college football playoff. And that's the next hill Penn State's got to get over. They got to beat Buckeye Nation, you know, every couple of years or so. Um, you know, the, the big difference between Penn State and Ohio State is obviously – Alabama and Auburn in the same state, a much smaller state. So I guess, could you imagine if, you know, you know, Pitt was a team that was, you know, challenging for double digit wins every single year. It was knocking off Penn state, you know, every two or three years, um, that rivalry would be even incredible, uh, in that state. But I don't think anything right now matches, Alabama and Auburn because of just how high, how that game has been such high stakes. And also there've been crazy, crazy finishes over the last several years, including last year. And of course the kick six and then Auburn beating them in 2017 as well. And it's always seems to be here lately. It's always to win uh, the sec West when they meet in the final game of the regular season. And it, ha it hasn't really ever really been like that on a consistent basis, but it's been like that since 2013 and it's as hot as it's ever been so you had penn state number four um i i assume ohio state was above them so say ohio state wins it's a close game you know all that kind of stuff does penn state from a national perspective have the clout do they have the reputation where they could be that one loss team that's not a conference championship do you think they would get into a playoff just in general i mean doesn't not not, not necessarily this year but do they have that are they on that level because not many programs have been able to pull that one off yeah I don't think it happened I think big the Big Ten would end up being just a one-bid league unless 
and I, and this is the big caveat. If if say one the Pac-12 is maybe quote unquote as weak as it was last year, where the Pac-12 champion doesn't make it in because they got a couple of losses, and then let's say the SEC is in a position where they're just a one bid um, league where there's you know uh, not not necessarily a, a situation where Alabama wins the championship and then Georgia is kind of hanging around making making a, a, a argument to be in it would take one of those type of situations where it's the sec is a one bid league the pac-12 doesn't get anybody in and then maybe you look at the big 10 if if ohio state and penn state are really close and penn state's only losses to ohio state by say like a field goal late or something like that um uh that penn state would potentially be in and of course penn state would have to show some strong strong performances throughout the season um to to get the attention of the committee as well yeah, I yeah, you know, I'm right there with you. I just wanted to get the national perception on that. It's great to get the national perception from Brandon Marcello, our newest national writer on 24/7 Sports. You can follow him at B Marcello on Twitter. Has been doing some great great stuff lately as has our entire national team. So, I encourage you to follow him and I thank you for our time. Th- time. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks anytime. Something that Sean covered on the last episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast was Penn State's uh, attempts to really build their data gathering um, and and wealth of knowledge on prospects without being able to get them to camps. Right now, we'd be talking about June. There's usually we'd be looking forward to a, a Saturday afternoon camp on the practice field. So we'd be out and about, shaking hands, talking to people in close, close quarters, watching football happen on fields. It's 2020. These things are not happening. But Sean, Penn State, as you alluded to earlier this week, rolled out uh, their virtual combine uh, protocols, and, and they have a whole packet available for it. Um, I checked out their, their PDF file, wrote a story on it on, on Wednesday. Um, and this is, you know, really going to be a lot of hard work logistically, I think. They're going to have uh, some staff assistance, you know, um, having to put in some significant hours in terms of filing stuff and trying to filter this stuff as well, which is going to probably be the tr- trickiest part. Um, but it's an opportunity not just for this 2021 class, but more importantly, these underclassmen uh, to maybe push themselves on the Penn State radar. And and, and perhaps it, you know, it, it expands the field of what you're viewing in comparison to players who could actually be present physically in central Pennsylvania on a particular day. It also expands the field of bad film and, and, and badly recorded film that you're going to encounter. Uh, but you know, this is, a, I, I think, a, probably a necessary step for Penn State's uh, personnel department, recruiting department, as they try to, to wrap their heads around um, what they're looking at here in the 2022-2023 cycle without actually getting to see kids in person. And how about Viangelo Bentley? I don't know if you watched the video. He's still got some wheels, man. He's a, a defensive back grad assistant. He was the guy that uh, was able to uh, participate as the combine guy. Uh, four, five, six is what I heard for his 40s. So um, he's still got some wheels, man. But uh, and now, now he's modeling. Now, yeah, now he's a slash actor. There you go. Yeah, add it to the resume. I mean, that's going to help. But yeah, it's it, it, we talked about that innovation a little bit earlier in the show about how you're going to take these things and and put them into practice when you know the when everything is is seemingly over. Um, you know, th- this is one of those things. And I think it's uh, you know, there's some innovation there, which, you know, hasn't always been Penn State's forte, but, you know, you, you're sort of getting ahead of it. And I think other schools will adopt this and do something similar. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's good to put it out there. I think it probably helps you with uh, with 2022, 2023 more so than anyone, which is, you know, sort of the, the, the standard camp line. I mean, that's really what you're looking for 
you you get some 2021 guys that you can go out and offer and and things like that but for the most part it's for underclassmen so i think that that's uh something to remember in this it'll be it, it'll be i'm very curious to see the feedback um you know it it, it to me you know and the, the the rules are pretty black and white in terms of uh, contact with underclassmen but you can still send them questionnaires you can point them in this direction to do this and it seems like for 2022 guys, 2023 guys, it seems more like you're being recruited to do this than just sending them a camp pamphlet saying, hey, we'd love to see you at camp. You know, we're, we're interested in all that kind of stuff. So there's a little bit more personal touch that goes in with this as well. So I think it's a, I think it's a really cool thing. And I, I'm, I'm not sure that everybody's going to jump into it, but as stir crazy as I know we are, you know, I think that these, some of these players and prospects and you know, high school coaches looking to get their kids some exposure. I think they'll jump on this and try and get that done and, you know, take that tape and not only send it to Penn state, but send it to Ohio state, send it to Notre Dame, you know, send it to all these other schools um, to, to get an idea of how you can help yourself uh, market yourself, be recruited and all that kind of stuff. So a little bit of innovation here from Penn state. And like I said, I, I like to see it because it's not, it's tough to, to be an original on something. There's a lot of, um, copycats and recruiting. There's a lot of copycats in, in all this college football stuff that, that, that we see with the, the video stuff and the graphics and all that kind of stuff. But to be out in front of it like this, I think it's a pretty cool thing for, for Penn State to uh, sort of hang their hat on and, and we'll see how effective it is. Virtual visits were all the rage this spring and now in the summer, I guess it's going to be these virtual combine efforts because you are deprived of such an important element of your recruiting calendar here particularly when it comes to the underclassmen this is usually takeoff time for these high school juniors high school sophomores where they start to really enjoy that rise because they're out in the camp circuit they're going to campuses they're putting up good testing numbers not happening right now uh, I'm, I'm, so we'll I'm see look, i'm looking forward to the virtual lash bash the virtual barbecue that'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be next on the list it smells delicious yeah i can't wait um, by the way, just a few things that, that they're asking players to send in here just to give you an overview. It's pretty comprehensive. Uh, they're looking for height, weight, measurements of hands, arms, wingspan, bench press, broad jump, agility, flexibility, 40-yard dash, and each one of those elements is detailed by Dwight Galt in terms of what they're looking for, the camera angle. Uh, you should not be stopping and starting your, your phone during the process. Uh, so it's, it's all laid out there. We got a story up on lines247.com. And something tells me this is going to be a subject that pops up in, in upcoming interviews with recruits. And uh, we'll, we'll do our best to kind of get get some general feedback on, on how that is going and maybe how it's uh, tying into some of the uh, upcoming offers or, or increased interest uh, with particular prospects. Um, I think it's time to dive into the five-star mailbag, Sean, and uh, we've got a few good ones here from our listeners. Uh, anyone can engage this way on Apple Podcasts. Drop your five-star rating and review. Follow it up with your question. Whatever you're thinking on Penn State can be recruiting, can be a look at the 2020 season, roster stuff. Uh, we're happy to, to jump into a, a bunch of different topics, and we'll get started here. Uh, one from MSW5045. How do coaches go about letting a kid know if an offer is committable or not without alienating them or insulting them? Is there a specific language that is used? And are the offers to players in writing or are they all verbal? Well, the, the, the easy one to answer that they're all right, or excuse me, they're all in verbal form until I believe September 1st of that player's senior year. So all these offers, the 200 and 300 offers that are out right now for the 2021 class, can't actually be on paper until 
uh, September. Is it August 1st or September 1st? It's one of those two. Um, but honestly, September 1st. there's not, there's no difference. I mean, you, you, th- these things aren't binding contracts or anything like that. So even if you do have a written offer, it really essentially means the same thing as a verbal offer. Going back to the first, uh, this is a very good question, by the way. Going back to the first, how do coaches know or let them know about committable versus non-committable? A few things go into that. A lot of it goes through the high school coach. So if you have a high school coach that has had guys come through his program and a lot of these you know, spots that Penn State offers kids, a lot of these coaches do uh, or have had players come through that coach has an idea of what's going on and that helps a lot. I mean, that, that, that there's guys out there that have no clue what's going on and that's sort of where you want to tread lightly. So there's a thin line with some guys, but you know, for the most part, these guys obs- accept this as part of the process now. And, and I think they have a good idea of where things stand with their own guys and where not, not necessarily where they stand on, on say Penn state's board, but where that guy fits into the grand scheme of things. I mean, if he's a flat out stud, I mean, you know, there's a difference between having that five-star kid and that three-star borderline kid. So, um, you know, you usually go through the high school coach and, and sort of say to him, Hey, We'd love to offer him. It's kind of a conditional offer. We'd love to get him up, see him at camp. We'd love to get him up, get his measurements and all that kind of stuff. So, so a lot of that time, it goes through the high school coach and then it's sort of translated to the player. And I think that's very helpful. And a lot of a lot of high school coaches are really good at this. And a lot of high school coaches are very uh, adept at the process and understand what's going on. Now, on the flip side, you know, some people want to handle their own recruitments. Parents don't really process that information as well as high school coaches who have been around it before. So you've got to sort of tread a little bit more lightly. You can go, I mean, honestly, and I think this is a story I, I may have told on the board before, but they, when they were doing these offers in March, uh, early April, where you're getting out there and essentially these offers are all conditional. I mean, you, you're sending them out to, to all over the place with the intention of saying, we want to get you to campus. We want to take a look. We want to see how you fit in with our staff. We want to see your personality. We also want to see your measurements. We want to, we want to see how you move and all that kind of stuff. Well, some people don't process that very well. So they, they flat out, I know at least in one situation, there was a guy they offered. And this is at a position of need. They, they offered him and said, hey, we, we, you can't act on this until we see you in person. You know, it's just flat out. Sometimes you have to flat out say, we, you can't act on this until we see you in person, until you get on campus, until you get around our staff, all that kind of stuff. So a couple of days later, the kid calls back and says he wants to commit. It's just a mind explosion meme right there. It's just, it, it's crazy. At least crazy. he called before tweeting that he did commit. Exactly, exactly. And and that happens occasionally. And at that point, you have to explain to him, says, we can't take you right now because this is how things work. You know, this is this is the way that it goes. And it's a tough conversation to have. And that kid has committed elsewhere. I, you know, he's been or spent. I think I think it was a situation where he was looking to lock up a spot just anywhere and, and acting on his best offer, which was Penn State at the time. So it's it's crazy. It sort of runs the gamut. But uh, you can you can I don't know. I don't know if there's any special verbiage that goes on. You can tell a kid that, you know, it's conditional or you can tell a kid that uh, we'd love to take you right now. But, you know, it's, I don't think there's any special verbiage, but there's a way to go about it. And I think with the shutdown, it's it's pretty well understood across the board that if if you're getting offer, especially from an of, of, from a school out of the region, especially from a school that maybe you don't communicate with every day, you know, it's pretty it's, it's pretty well sort of mapped out for you. And if you think you can commit 
and and the team is is not encouraging that, then obviously you're not on the same page communication wise, and that's not a good start to that relationship. Another thing you'll hear sometimes in, in terms of the kind of strings attached offers is we want to see the first month of your film from the season. We want to see, you know, we want get us a four game uh, sample size of what you're going to look like. We, we're excited about your trajectory. We would we want to see it materialize in the field this fall. Let's let's see your first four games. Uh, and if that if we can check that off the list, we can go full steam ahead. What coaches would love to do is to say, hey, here's our target board. You're number eight at this position. See these seven names ahead of you? Keep tabs on them. Uh, and, and as they go, you will go. Um, if they commit somewhere else, you'll move up a spot. You're not going to do that, but I think there are there are certainly times when a player knows, uh, particularly for a position like quarterback, that's the most obvious. But um, a, a spot where there's going to be one, maybe two commitments at a at a position, you're likely go, if you really like the program, if it's really a school that you're seriously considering attending, you're going to be pretty aware of who else is in the mix, maybe to take that spot in the class, and, and you're going to keep your keep your head, uh, you know, kind of turned in that direction, monitoring the situation. Uh, um, everybody thinks they're the, the that you know they should be at the top of every board at every position, uh, but I think a lot of a lot of players are realistic about these these situations where it gets a little bit dicier. Is if you got a spot like last year where you're taking five wide receivers, or if you're taking you know a, a three safeties in a class, uh, you know that then it may get a little more difficult to to kind of understand how that pecking order lines up. Uh, it, it is not an easy part of the job uh, for coaches and, and for high school coaches, too, because oftentimes, as you mentioned, they're the middleman. They're trying to figure out how to best kind of massage the message so feelings don't get hurt one way or the other. And you're not burning a bridge where if you can sustain the relationship, maybe it does come to fruition. It, it could be a last second kind of deal where, hey, we got this offer. If you still want in, it's December 15th. Signing days tomorrow hop on or, or or we got to move on and find another another guy to fill the fill that role so yeah uh, and a lot of it goes back to the value of an offer these days and and a lot when you when you're talking about recruiting especially earlier in the cycle you're talking more tiers than saying okay you're number one you're number two you're number three well maybe you want you know your top tier is your top tier board is five guys and and take somebody out of that tier because you think they are comparable players or you think that they can you know taking one isn't going to um, be all that different than taking, or excuse me, taking like number four isn't all that different than taking number two, things like that. So I think that that's something to remember in this as well. And, and really, you know, the way that things have changed throughout the shutdown and, and, you know, we kind of are numb to it now. I mean, it's changed a lot in terms of, of ordering that board and giving you a chance to reshuffle that board. And I know that, that evaluations are ever present. You're always doing evaluations, but at the same time, with no camps, with no evaluation period, it it sort of slowed that down a little bit. So I think that that plays into it as well. And I do think one one aspect where coaches are pretty transparent and they should be is really you know reinforcing that like we need to get you to campus before you can commit before we'd feel comfortable having you commit because it's not just about. Uh, obviously it's important to see where the physical measurements fit and, and kind of put the player through the ringer a little bit in that regard. But to me, it's so vital to, to spend some significant time in a one-on-one setting or in, in, in a, in a, in just in a room with mom and dad and the prospect and whoever's kind of in their inner circle with your head coach, with your position coach and get a feel for each other, get, get kind of sense if it's going to be a behavioral fit, attitude fit, 
those are the kind of things you don't want to leave the chance and figure it out once they actually are getting to campus and enrolling because that can result in some headaches. Um, The next question here kind of goes along the same lines a bit um, from BLB249. says, you guys have mentioned several times that there's a strong possibility there will be an increase of decommitments and flips when kids are allowed to visit again. How do you think the staff will handle committed kids being back on the market and their board expanding? And do you see them maybe holding off on accepting other commitments or leaving themselves some room in case a handful of their top targets become available or want to visit? And this is going to be our last mailbag question. Yeah, a couple layers to this one. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a strong possibility that these decommitments happen. I also think that Penn State's put itself in a pretty good position in terms of the work that they did in advance of these guys committing, where I don't think you're going to, I think you're going to see some, some classes, maybe not completely blown up, but you know, you take 20 guys and take five guys out of that class. It's, you know, the, there's a lot that happens there. I think Penn State's, uh, you know, I think the, the impact that it will have on Penn State will be minimal. So, um, there might, there might be a couple guys that are still, um, looking to take visits or looking to, to, to check around and see what the option is just to double check themselves. But I think I feel pretty good about Penn state's, uh, core group sticking together, um, for the, with the class they have right now. Space is, is obviously a, a big factor in this. I mean, they're talking, uh, you know, 18, 19 guys in this class. And I know we always say add a couple just for grace because that, that's usually how it happens and works itself out. And that very, that very may well still happen, but you're not going to get to 25. I mean, it, you get above 20 right now. I think that's a good, uh, a good step forward in terms of attrition. So, um, it, it, it's a very interesting line to walk in the space aspect because I don't know that you're holding space for guys, but at the same time, you look at the board and there's obvious needs. I mean, you still need, an offensive lineman or two wide receiver has obviously made itself a need, but you were talking about taking four wide receivers before pray they're committed to, to West Virginia. And now all of a sudden, you know, that, that ship is probably better served elsewhere, especially after taking five last year, defensive end remains a huge priority and safety. You've got Derek Davis that it's still out there. It's just a big fish. So um, you look at the needs and there's certainly more needs than slots and that's in every class. So I don't know that you hold off on anyone. Now, if your top targets continue to trend elsewhere or go uh, other directions like they have over the last couple of weeks, maybe that changes some things, but I don't really see them holding off on some of the guys that are on their board right now or, or leaving themselves some room. I do see, uh, you know, the number of 2021 offers and I know they're still putting them out, especially at receiver and, and a couple of defensive end in the last week. Uh, I don't see them really moving on those guys all that much. I think what they're doing here, and and you hit on this in, in one of the other parts of your question, is you're positioning your board right now to, to make that jump when you get back into football, when you see who comes back on the market. Because, you know, you're still talking to these guys. You still have a pretty decent idea of, of when a kid says, okay, well, I'm still interested in visiting. And then you can put him on your board. Then you can figure out where he slots in there. And I do see that board expanding. So that's really the legwork that you're putting in right now, uh, especially with no camps, especially with, uh, you know, with the season still a couple of months away. You're positioning yourself and trying to get in with those guys that you think can come back around because it's not going to be everybody. But I do think that the number is going to be higher than we're used to seeing. So you're positioning yourself right now. You're rebuilding your board and then you know, sort of going back at it in the fall. And that's where we see guys, you know, guys get bored, guys get, uh, guys that are committed, you know, maybe you're not seeing the same love we've seen it for, for Penn state commits in the past, uh, guys that 
aren't being shown the same love. And then all of a sudden they think, okay, well, you know, maybe that'll change if I open it up or if I want to take visits or maybe I'll get in touch with this guy or my coach has stayed in contact with this guy. So you can sort of feel those things out and uh, address those situations case by case on a case by case basis, but at the same time, add those guys back to your board. I mean, there's guys that are, that are committed that, you know, we're not talking about. There's guys that are committed. We don't know about that they're talking to. So, um, I, I do see that board, uh, you know, as it's shrinking now, it will expand in the fall. And, you know, do you have enough spots for everybody? No, but you're going to have enough uh, spots to cover, or you're going to have enough guys on that board to cover what you need in this class. Penn State with one flip in the cycle so far. Rodney McGraw moving in from the Indiana Hoosiers class at the start of May. And and I do think there's going to be a FOMO factor here for prospects who are committed, maybe committed during the coronavirus. They may have planned on using three or four or five official visits between April and June. That couldn't happen. They figured they'd commit. I think once that window opens again, their season gets going. They see some of their peers out and about attending big games you better believe there's going to be some FOMO, a fear of missing out from, from some of these prospects, and maybe Penn State's the beneficiary. One thing we don't know, Sean, how many prospects you, can you host in a game this season if you're Penn State? I mean, we don't know. It used to obviously be, be a, a, a massive wave of prospects showing up to all these games, but as we try to you know, you know know figure out how many people are going to be in the stadium, that's going to impact how many prospects are going to be attending this event, uh, these events as well. And uh, th- that's something that, that we'll be gauging as things move ahead. That's a, that's a um, very interesting point because I had a conversation, I actually had that conversation with somebody this week about, you know, how do you handle that? Especially if you're trying to keep your players and coaches away from peep outsiders, you know, do, do you just give these players tickets and, you know, not do the handshake thing, not do the the sideline thing and all, you know, that takes a lot away from the visit, but at the same time, you want to get them in the building. So there's there's a lot to go on with that. I'm not sure how they're going to do it. I, I do see the NCAA stepping in and maybe uh, providing some regulations on that, maybe not a full dead period, but, the, you know, a- adjusting what teams are able to do because it's a, you know, it's going from being a, uh, you know, a situation where you could just be a, not really a free for all, but it's a safety issue and it's a health and safety issue. And that's really not a line that uh, anybody wants to cross. You want to keep your, your, your coaches away from anybody that may have been exposed and you don't even know about it. So you're bringing 50 kids in, add a couple of parents, add a couple of teammates, all of a sudden that number is at 150, 200. And that's, uh, that's that's a lot of people that from a background that you don't know from an area that you don't know as well. That's a lot of people to throw in front of your coaching staff and around your players. And and I know coaches and and, and other people, you know, that's not ideal for them. I have the Beaver Stadium entrance flashing in my head right now. It's James Franklin followed by all of his players and coaches walking down, giving high fives to the fans on the side, giving hugs to every one of the recruits who are waiting there near the near the actual tunnel. Um, and, and then you know there's more hugs with mom and dad and all the recruits. What will that look like this year? One of the many questions that we have. Um, players, though, back on campus, check out our coverage. Keaton Ellis, the entire Q&A is up on lines247.com, plus his early assessment of what Penn State fan of uh, Penn State players are encountering. Uh, we got plenty more coming your way from the recruiting trail up on lines247.com. You can get in right now, 30% off an annual membership, $1 for one month. So you got options. Again, be part of our five-star Apple podcast review. Um, drop a mailbag question in there and we'll get to it as soon as we can. Thanks to the, the couple that we did today. 
Plenty more to stockpile the way for the upcoming episodes. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. On behalf of Sean Fitz, wishing you all a great weekend ahead. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+.